The How Is This Movie podcast is supported by listeners just like you. Go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. There you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and help us maintain the goal of keeping this show fully independent and free of advertising. You will also gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else. Once again, that's patreon.com slash howisthismovie. And now... For our featured presentation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to How Is This Movie? My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at How Is This Movie. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash How Is This Movie. You can always email me with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen. So here we are. Four years later, how is this movie's fourth anniversary? This has been quite the journey, I must say, and uh, along the way, I've met a lot of really interesting and fascinating people, and tonight, I am so happy to be joined by two of my favorite podcasters, one returning guest, one new to the show. Please say hello to my friends, Patrick Bromley and Adam Risky. Gentlemen, how are you today? Very good. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Dana. Absolutely, guys. Now, I got a lot to talk about. I mean, it's been four years. I guess the first question I have is for Patrick. Patrick, where is podcasting at now from when you started? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I've, when we started, I don't think every third person had a podcast, and now every third person has a podcast. I'm always amazed when I see people that are starting out with podcasts, which is great. They're like, ah, I can't wait to start my new show. And I want to say like, oh, no, you're – you're like starting a grunge band in 1999. <laughs> like, like you're a little late to the party, which isn't to say don't do it because of course you should have an outlet for this kind of stuff. But, you know, we started in 2010 and I wish I had started earlier because I think with a with a foot in the door a little bit sooner, we might be in a different position. But uh, I mean, it is it has exploded. I, I was able to cancel my serious subscription because now I can just listen to podcasts while I commute. So I don't... Uh, it's pretty much all I listen to these days. Now, Adam, I just quick quick question yes. for you. I was I'm always curious, what are the other podcasts that you like to listen to? Oh boy. Well, yours is my favorite. Oh, well, thank and you. Take it easy. Okay. <laughs> I'll pace myself. I apologize. F this movie is my favorite. Better. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I listen to Slash Filmcast. I listen to um, Movie Madness on the Now Playing Network. There's uh, Shockwaves. I listen to Corpse Club, which Patrick is a host of as well. It's on Daily Dead site. And then the rest of the time, I just kind of live my life. <laughs> Are you guys there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I just the audio dropped there. I guess for a that second. was the end of his sentence. I, I, no, <laughs> I was just being dramatic. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. We're going we're gonna to work on. Uh, okay. Don't worry. I'm going to edit some of this out. Not to worry. All right. Learn so, me. I'm an open book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, gentlemen, as you know, a good bit or a good portion of my podcast as of lately has been me telling some experiences that I've had at the local multiplex here in Ocala, Florida. Now, the best I have things I've ever heard in my life, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I actually have one more in the pipe, by the way, just so you know, it'll be released probably tomorrow night. Good. So, uh, so I have a couple questions for you. First one is, well, it's a two-part question. So the first question is, I always constantly gripe and sort of complain about sort of how limited my options are here in this small little town of 50,000. We have a 16-screen multiplex uh, drive-in movie theater, an old historic movie theater that's got terrible sound. I'm, I'm always curious, what are some of the advantages and are there any disadvantages to living in Chicago 
I mean, you ultimately have access to everything. Does that sound correct? I guess. Um, there's a lot of theaters, a lot of different kinds of theaters, although it's sort of been homogenized over time because AMC is a really big chain around here and every AMC theater kind of looks the same now. Um, and they've all converted to like the reclining reserve seating. Um, but we do like more Patrick and I don't live in Chicago proper. We live in the surrounding suburbs. Um, but like in Chicago, there's more kind of like the niche theaters, like the music box theater, which we reference a lot on, on if this movie um, is like the, kind of premier old movie theater it was built in the 20s i believe um and it's been refurbished over time and it's really nice um and then there's a few other theaters that are um also from you know decades past that are kind of in and out of operation depending on who's owning them at at the time so it it is a little bit different i am jealous of you that you get drive-ins uh we don't have any well we do maybe have a couple drive-ins but they're not super close and you can only go to drive-ins in illinois from basically may till halloween and then that's done or in my case not at all because i'm single and i don't have anybody to go to a drive-in <laughs> with because i can't be like hey patrick do you want to go to a drive-in with me i would totally go with you yeah you're sitting in the back seat and i'm sitting in the front that's fine because i i don't know the protocol <laughs> it's weird so um so yeah, I, I I don't know. I I don't think that. I mean, we still are shit upon. We don't get the movies first weekend all right, the time. We have right. to wait till second, third week to get things. And usually they kind of trickle out from the city to the suburbs. Or like sometimes you get too clever, like me, like with Last Flag Flying, where I'm just like, it'll get to me. And then they're just like, oh no, it didn't do well enough. Now it's going sucked up back to the city. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you motherfuckers, <laughs> I gotta drive all the way back for dramatic Corel? How dare you? <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Patrick. I mean, that's sort of the follow-up question to this is, have you ever was there ever a situation where you saw a trailer for a movie that was going to be theatrically released, and there was ever a situation where you're like, I'm not going to be able to see that. It's not playing in Chicago. So that has happened before. Um, Probably, although hardly ever. I feel like, you know, there are certainly movies where I'm like, I'm not going to see that because I'm not going to put in the effort that it's going to take the, you know, hour and a half to get there and then pay for parking and all that stuff. But almost anything that I might want to see sooner or later, I think I would have an opportunity to see somewhere in Chicago if I'm willing to work hard enough for it. Um, Sometimes it might only play at like the Gene Siskel Center for a week, which is essentially kind of a glorified screening room. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's almost hardly a movie theater, but it is an opportunity to see the movie, you know. Chicago's pretty good. Um, if I had one complaint about Chicago, it's that we just don't have much of a repertory scene. Um, so I'm very jealous of places like Austin or Los Angeles, obviously, where essentially every night they're showing old movies on a big screen somewhere. Uh, the Music Box, which Adam mentioned, will sometimes book a week of a repertory screening and then you know Friday and Saturday at midnights. Um, this weekend, they just did uh, Streets of Fire in 70 millimeter. Oh, wow. Which I was not able to go see because I was sick. But yeah, right. So that's a, an awesome opportunity. Um, but we don't have much of a repertory scene. Um, yeah, and, we, we definitely need an Alamo draft house, and we do not have or one. Or perhaps uh, a different theater chain. No, it's <laughs> not an Alamo draft I house. I forgot about recent history. But that also d- books repertory screenings. That Thank would be great. Thank you. You know, like a Cine family. Wait, no, that's wrong too. <laughs> Shit. Um, I will say, too, to answer your question, Dana, when I went to um, 
to uh, L.A. for for vacation during the summer, I was watching Baywatch, and beforehand there was a preview for this Eddie Griffin movie called All About the Money, and it looked very like L.A. centric. And I think that only played in L.A. Yeah, you might be right. And I would really like if Chicago booked a screening of All About the Money, <laughs> where he plays Christopher Jefferson Johnson. All about the money. There were definitely instances like in the late 90s, early 2000s where the AMC near us would book a movie that like I did not even want to see, but that I was positive was maybe the only screen in the country playing said movie. And so my wife and I would go see it even if we just had no interest in it because I was like, this is literally not playing anywhere else. We are going to see this movie. All about the money also has Casper Van Dien, Danny Trejo, and John Grease. Like, I mean, how can you not want to see an A-list? How can you not want to see that? I mean, you probably won't be at the same though in Chicago. You may have just picked the next episode of How Was This Movie? I'm going to have to find that out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Casper Van Dien isn't he in the latest Starship Troopers cartoon? I mean, I think so. I believe he is. Yeah. So let me ask you this, and this I'll ask you each individually. I have had nothing but just really ridiculously odd experiences at the movie theater as of lately, like I just mentioned. A lot of people reach out to me and say, Geez, you know, Danny, you're cursed. You're, you're, you're very unlucky. How can this constantly happen to you? And I, I have to think I'm not the only person that these type of incidents happen to. So I'm wondering, and I'll start with you first, Patrick. Can you describe for me sort of maybe the most outlandish movie theater experience that you can recall? Yeah, I mean, there's one that immediately comes to mind. And um, we had a, a short-lived web series at F this movie. Uh, so if anybody watched any of those videos, this is a story that we did tell on one of those videos, but I'll tell the short version here. Um, my friend Doug and I went to see the movie Gridlocked on opening night. It opened on a Wednesday night. And this was, I believe, uh, the first movie, possibly the only movie released uh, after Tupac's death. Gang related also. Oh, okay. So Not that that matters. But. It does matter. Listen, that's why I didn't want to just say it uh, as, as, a, as a blanket statement. Um, so this was a Tupac Shakur movie that was released after he, after he had died. And so we went opening night thinking like, yeah, this looks like an interesting, weird little art film. And the theater was very, very full of uh, what I can assume were Tupac fans because about halfway through when those fans realized that like, oh, this wasn't really what we were expecting. This is kind of this weird little art comedy about drug addiction. Uh, They started to turn on the movie very quickly and the theater got a little crazy. And so like I know the whole row in front of us began to light up joints and then the cops came in and they all took off. Okay, fine. But then as the film progressed, people were getting vocal and angry. And then at one point, someone picked up a big Rubbermaid trash can and threw it. People started throwing empty glass 40-ounce bottles at the screen. And they were kind of sailing over our heads and shattering on the floor. A fight started to break out. Yeah, I mean, it was like a a legitimate mini-riot inside the theater. And my friend and I were just cowering in our seats. And so essentially the whole theater cleared out either because they'd had enough or because they were going to go outside and and fight. I don't know, but uh, we stayed and watched the last 20 minutes of the movie (laughs) with like five or six other people. And, uh, you know, I kind of liked that movie. I've never gone back to revisit it, but it was definitely a theater experience like no other. That is truly like no other. All right, Adam, what about you? Yeah, I've had a lot of um, weird theater experiences, but they're not 
up to your standard. Like <laughs> your stories are unbelievable, but my two favorites are the ones on American Pie where you had like just listen to the episode people like it, it's amazing. And then also the light up shoes at Rogue One, yes. wasn't it? Yes, that was yeah, a year that ago, was, yeah. <laughs> that was incredible. That's like that was like a it was like a curb your enthusiasm episode. It was it was great. Um <laughs> uh mine are not as great as that. I've had weird things like accidentally seeing like a porno movie without knowing that it was a porno movie. Was this that thing? That was, the... that was, uh, it was a vampire porno at the music box. Yeah. It was the world premiere, but I won't talk about that because it's just, we, it was just basically we realized. Every, it was by the way, every and... porn I've ever seen has been accidental. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was basically we realized that we got up and left. Um, and then I passed out during a couple movies before, but the two that I'll bring up just because they're so bizarre is uh, one happened last year. I was the only person, I checked this with Ang Lee, I was the only person in the world who theatrically saw Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. <laughs> and I went to an Arclight theater, um, which do you have Arclight theaters over by you? No, no, I don't even know. I have no point of reference for that. Okay, it's a chain of movie theaters and it's real boutique. It's very much like seeing a movie isn't the thing. It's being seen at this movie theater is the thing. Um, So they do this whole introduction before the movie where a greeter comes out and says, hello, welcome to the Arclight. You are here to see. So I had the greeter come out and he goes, hello, welcome to the Arclight. You are here to see Billy Long's long halftime walk (laughs) and i was just like sitting there and the key thing to remember is i am the only person in this theater so the whole time i was really tempted to be like should i tell him this is not necessary like you don't have to do this so he's doing this introduction and he says i see that you're on your cell phone if we notice that you're on your cell phone and disturbing other people during the movie, we will ask you to leave. You were on your phone while he was doing <laughs> yeah. that? Oh, yeah. come on, man. And so then <laughs> so then I said, disturbing who? And then he just kind of got flustered. Please do stuck. not sass the greeter. But he got stuck to the script. So then he goes, are you planning on coming back here for Thanksgiving weekend? And I said, I don't it's know. February. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I don't know. And he's like... I just want to advise you to purchase advanced tickets to Fantastic Beasts and where to find them or Moana because it'll be a lot more crowded than it is today. And I'm like, (laughs) I certainly would hope so because I'm the only person here. So then there was that. And then he's like, I will be staying in the theater to watch the first trailer to notice if the screen, if the resolution on the screen and the sound are optimal. And I was like, all right, do what you got to do. So then the guy like stands in the doorway and it was a, preview for a movie that's still unreleased it's called like renegades or something and it's basically like act of valor meets the a-team but jk simmons is like the head of this group and um there's like a one-liner in the trailer that's like not funny at all but just out of like the corner of the theater i just hear (laughs) that was really weird and then the other one i just remembered today was um i went to go see so I'm also the only person in the entire world that got carded at Star Trek Generations and not allowed to see it. What? So I was 12. I went to the local theater and said, one for Star Trek Generations. And they said, that'll be $7. And I'm like, that's the adult price. I'm only 12. I only have to pay 450. And he goes, well, if you're only 12, then you're not getting into the movie. And I said, why? And he goes, because Star Trek Generations is PG-13. 
first off, it was PG. Second of which, PG-13 does not mean if you're under right. 13, you can't get in. That's it's not right. like R. That's right. So I said, what the hell, man? Like, let me in. Let me see this movie. And then he just goes, sorry, you're not 13. You can't see Star Trek Generations. So I said to him, fine, I'm 13. I'll pay the $7. He's like, no, I know that you're 12 now. And I was just like is this like my own Kobayashi Maru? Like, what is this? So eventually I got frustrated. So I said, can I speak to the manager? While You're my 12-year-old asking to talk to yeah, the manager. I have well, so much respect for you. Yeah, and my friend who was 11 behind me, he's just like, let's just go, man. <laughs> he's like, this is too heavy, bro. Let's go. So we're waiting and I'm having this like argument with this guy. I said, can I speak to your manager? And he says, no. And then we did not see Star Trek Generation. And we saw the re-release of The Lion King, which, hello, it's a great movie, but hello, I've seen it already. <laughs> All right, I, I have a, I have another question that I didn't prep you guys for, but I just it kind of crept into my head there just for a moment. I really want to get your thoughts on this. And, and this is recently, I'd say about a week ago, two weeks ago, I read an article that Walt Disney is forcing movie theaters to show The Last Jedi for four weeks straight in their largest auditorium and taking a 65% profit share from ticket sales when standard movies get a 55% profit share and, you know, the movie theaters usually have a little more leeway as to how long they want to show movies in their biggest auditorium. I have made the case about a year ago that there's just too much Star Wars. We're being oversaturated with all this. What's going on? What's happening with Disney? What's happening with Star Wars? Whoever wants to go first. I don't think it's Star Wars. I think Star Wars is just an extension of the more or less monopoly that Disney is sort of developing over the film industry, uh, coupled with this potential acquisition of 20th Century Fox, which is chilling in its implications. I heard that went to Comcast, or they're in the picture now. What is it like Comcast is going to take over Fox? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I, I which is universal, isn't it? Is it? I, I think thought so. so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. It's all just very scary. I'm never one for uh, fewer corporations owning everything. I would prefer there be more. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Disney is just has so much power now between Pixar and Marvel and Star Wars that they can essentially do whatever they want um and and i was actually very relieved a few weeks ago when they had that very scary blackout of the los angeles times and i was relieved how quickly other publications sort of called them out and they backed down thank goodness because this is the sort of stuff that we're going to see them do now that they have this amount of power Mm -hmm. um and same with this star wars thing you know there's a very good chance that theaters would just keep it in their largest auditorium for that long anyway because it is probably going to be making a lot of money week after week, especially around the holiday season. But to be told you have to do this if you want to show our movie and we're insisting on taking this amount of money if you want to show our movie is scary because now when the next one comes out, what if they're asking for 75% of the receipts and – now you have to show us in your two largest auditoriums, you know, where does it where does it end? And right now it, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight for Disney. Well, what what was really scary about that and what I read was, you know, the big chains, the AMCs, the Regals and all these ones, they're, they'll they'll be just fine. It, it, the article, I believe it, I read it in the, gosh, I want to say it was the Wall Street Journal. 
But it, it basically made the case in point of these smaller movie theaters in these smaller towns that maybe only have a population of 10,000. And they maybe only have a single screen theater. And if you're an independent theater owner and you have to agree to show this movie for four weeks, mm-hmm. when everybody in the town will see it in the first week, you're essentially going to be playing it to an empty auditorium for those last right. three weeks. So, I mean, right. it's, it can, yeah. and these people are saying, these theater owners are saying, you know, f- fuck you, we're, we're just not going to show you the movie. And I mean, the big, the big chains aren't going to do that right now. I'm glad that they're saying we're not going to show the movie. The- the unfortunate flip side of that is that those theater owners would make a bunch of money off of Star Wars. So it's unfortunate that now they have to miss out on that first week box office, especially for a small theater like that, because they don't want to have to book it for four weeks. You know, so it, it, it's yeah, I think the the implication of mandating mm-hmm. is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at it on just like a micro level, you're going to make more money, I think, with The Last Jedi for four weeks at 65% or at 35% that you're taking in as a theater owner than you would at 100% or, or not 150% or whatever is the standard of like Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> so like, and I, I mean, and after Star Wars, I mean, like if you look at uh, the calendar for the rest of the 2017 and the early part of 2018 i mean like a lot of movies are clearing the path unless they're awards consideration type of films um to get out of the way of star wars because they know that that just sucks up box office um there's not a lot left to go around so i think like on a business case perspective if i were a small theater owner i'd be really mad that i have to follow disney's protocol and mandate but at the same time from like a business level i'm gonna make a lot more money not causing a fuss i think by showing star wars for four weeks and when you have customers complaining sure but also at the same time and i i do agree with you i think like after say new year's in january when people go back to school and people go back to work and everything like that you are gonna have you see it in imax theaters too like when there's a four-week imax run of a movie after like the first two weeks you're gonna have like a half-filled theater at best Mm -hmm. so i think like you're gonna have that case but it's weird because disney is their film division almost kind of have said that like they're betting on sure things they're not trying to take chances all that much anymore unless it fits into their into their molds um you know they're going to be very sporadic you're going to get like one wrinkle of time (laughs) project every year or every two years, but everything else is going to fit under Lucasfilm or it's going to fit under Pixar or under Walt Disney Studios Animation or Marvel. And um, yeah, them having that influence, it's not like they're going to expand. Like if they were to acquire Fox, it's not like they're going to expand their slate. They're going to just suck up the properties that Fox was. That's all they're interested that, in. That, right. that Fox was making right. that was making money and in, consume them. And then the rest of the, you know, the production stuff like you're not going to see like disney presents the mountain between us <laughs> it's not gonna it's not gonna happen so yeah it's it's really just uh, creepy it, it is and and i'll tell you and having said all that i did already purchase my tickets for the last jedi opening weekend so well of course me well, too. I, I, you know i like what disney has done with these properties in terms of you know they seem to be steering certain things in the right direction so far i don't know i mean there's crazy stories out of star wars you know they've already fired multiple directors off of those movies Mm -hmm. several of which were in production at the time so it's a little freaky um 
But so far, you know, where they've taken Marvel and they've always done well with Pixar and Star Wars, like they tend to turn out a quality product thus far. So I don't have objections to them yet creatively necessarily, but the way that they have such a stranglehold on the industry is scary. And, you know, when that when the story of that Fox acquisition came out, you had so many people saying like, well, this means Disney can finally release the the original cut of Star Wars, you know, not the special edition. And this means Deadpool and the X-Men can be in the Avengers movies. And like, yes, as a fan, sure, be excited about those things. But recognize at what cost that is coming and i think sometimes as movie fans uh we tend to be a little bit short-sighted and we're just like oh good this will give me the thing that i want in the short term without understanding what it means for the future of movies which i think is bad news and the real problem the bottom line of this is the real problem is dwayne the rock johnson yeah I've seen the Rampage trailer. I know exactly what you're talking about. And Jumanji, welcome to the jungle. And ruining my Fast and Furious franchise. This man has no limits. <laughs> he's, he's the real Terminator. He's a hurricane. He's a hurricane. <laughs> Literally. What we're going to do next is we're going to do something I'm calling random movie memories. And I got this idea a few months ago. I sent Patrick a, a DM on Twitter asking him his thoughts on Alien Resurrection. And... You know, because I just I just got started thinking about it. You know, there's a lot of times I'm listening to the two of you when you're on F this movie, and you bring up certain movies, and then I'll think about other movies. I'll be like, I wonder what those guys think about those films. And I said, you know what? I'm going to ask them. And I just took the time and I wrote down 50 random movies from the past 30 years. Oh, I thought you were going to like start with Wings, and we were just going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a little bit. I, what I did here was. There's a couple movies here that were financially successful. I wouldn't call any of these blockbusters. So there'll be no discussion on the any of the Marvel Cinematic Universes. There'll be no discussion on the Star Wars films or the Jurassic Park films. There may be a discussion on a Fast and Furious film. I, I don't know yet. We'll see about that. The way I'm going to do this, I'm just literally going to draw a name out of this basket. And I'm going to reach out to Patrick first. And I'm going to say, Patrick, give me your thoughts on And let me just get this out of the basket, okay? Give me your thoughts on A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Mm, interesting. Um, I am not... Uh, it's in the bottom half of the Elm Street movies for me. It's been interesting to see it reassessed in recent years. Um, there were several years there where it was just rediscovered as like, well, this is the gay Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Because there's so much homoerotic content and the screenwriter essentially saying like, yeah, I was putting that in there as subtext and the main actor at the time was a an in-the-closet gay man and Jack Shoulder saying, oh, I didn't know any of that was in there. But now I see it being reassessed for more than just that stuff and, and people are saying like, no, it's actually really interesting Elm Street movie. You know, for me, I appreciate that it still tries to play Freddy as scary. Yeah. Um, it hasn't turned him into a big joker yet. And there are sequences that I think work and are interesting, but it kind of flies in the face of all of the rules that are established elsewhere in the franchise. And for that reason, I'm not crazy about it. Um, as much as I can appreciate Mark Patton as a, as a gay leading man. Um, I don't particularly like Jesse as a protagonist. So there's not a lot of 
that draws me to the movie. I, I guess I can appreciate the way that it's different from the other entries in the franchise and that it tries to be scary, but I'm not really a fan. Adam, your thoughts on Elm Street 2? Probably my least or second least favorite of all of them. Um, I It's one that I don't go back to hardly at all. I've seen it. I think that it's... Um, the backstory on it is a lot more interesting than the movie. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Uh, now you, when you say, Adam, when you say your least or maybe your, your second least, what would be the other film in the discussion there? What would be the other sequel? Better be, better be Freddy's dead. <laughs> Patrick's <laughs> whispering, better be Freddy's dead. Now I, um, I, 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 I was have, thinking you were going to say the dream child, which that's four. That's five. That's that's five. five. Oh no. I, I have like a weird affection for five because I've met some of those people at, uh, at Flashback Weekend, which is the Chicago Horror Convention. And Patrick and I have talked about how mo- certain horror movies get convention bumps because <laughs> you meet the people in them sure. and like you're just like, wait a minute, this isn't necessarily a one-star movie, but it could be a three-and-a-half-star movie now. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, two and Freddy's Dead and four are my three least favorites of the Elm Street franchise. I I tend to like all the other ones, but those are the three that I I don't like that much at all. Patrick, how do you feel about Wes Craven's new nightmare? We're, and by the way, we're not going to with every name I draw, we're not going to go through every every film in the <laughs> no, in the fine. in the particular franchise. But I'm just curious, where does Wes Craven's new nightmare fall on the on the Elm Street chart for you? Uh, it's it's probably in my top three in terms of the Elm Street movies. I really like it. I so appreciate what he was trying to do with that film, even when it isn't all entirely successful. And I love that it is the movie that sort of works as the precursor to Scream, because you can see Scream as a much more sort of commercial vehicle for working out a lot of those same ideas. Um, but Wes Craven was always a guy who was thinking about what his movies were about and thinking about sort of the legacy of some of the images and the impact of his work or just, you know, what makes us afraid. That was always a question that was at the center of all of his movies. And A New Nightmare is really addressing all that stuff. I, I recognize that not all of it works now, but you know, the 90s, sometimes, especially the first half of the 90s, are recognized as a little bit of a spotty time for horror. And I think New Nightmare is so ambitious and so thoughtful and so effective at times that I'm a big fan of it. Okay. All right. Adam, the next one I'm going to pull out is going to be for you. Okay. So mm-hmm. tell me your thoughts on M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. Oh, boy. Uh, I enjoy it. I think it's very funny. Um, it also makes me sad because I'm a fan of M. Night Shyamalan's early movies. Um, not including Wide Awake, which I've never seen, but like The Sixth Sense, uh, Unbreakable, and Signs are movies that I really like a lot. And um, yeah, I kind of went on the same journey that most moviegoers did, where The Village is the one where I was just kind of like, uh, what the hell was that? And then... Um, by the time he got to the happening, I just it was just fascinating to see a director so lost. Um, and the movie was so goofy and silly that um, I can definitely watch it at any point in time because it's an entertainingly bad movie as opposed to a, the biggest crime a movie can make is being bad and boring. And if you're entertainingly bad or interestingly bad, then I'm I'm still usually on board enough to want to give it another shot. Very, very well said. Now, Patrick, do you feel the same way about the happening? I'm probably less kind to it than Adam <laughs> is. Uh, 
I rewatched it maybe a year ago because I was writing a piece on it, and I just think it is a work of staggering incompetence. Um, <laughs> and I think every actor is stranded giving shockingly terrible performances. And I've heard defenses of it that he knew that he was making a bad movie and it's supposed to be a comedy. I don't buy any of that shit. I think he was trying to make his big, scary R rated movie. And I think it's a failure of conception, uh, all the way, particularly through execution. I think it's a, I think it's a movie that works on almost no level. Excellent. All right. Excellent. But it is, it is entertainingly terrible. I will not disagree with Adam there. Like if you want to sit around and laugh at how shitty a movie is, the happening is is the movie to do it. Well, yeah, let me, a few years. Oh, I was just gonna say a few years ago, I got it kind of twisted. Like I was writing something about the happening, and I took on this. I posited this theory that it was basically like a a filmmaker's temper tantrum put on screen. Like you didn't accept me for the village and Lady in the Water, so now I'm going to just basically like he was like Carrie White and taking it out <laughs> on everyone. But I don't think that's true. I think it was just something that I kind of thought at the time or I got it in my head and thought that it was worth saying, but it's a lie. <laughs> well, well, take me back. Both of you take me back to before you saw the movie, because I remember I don't think I had sort of wrapped my head around the fact that that, you know, The Village was one of those, like you said, very oddly confusing films. But did we go did we all go see the happening opening weekend because it was an R rated M. Night Shyamalan film? I mean, were we all very excited about this? I was. Yeah, that's why I went. Yeah, I was interested. I think I saw it the first week that, that it was out. I didn't rush out to see it like opening night like I did with some of his earlier movies, though. Gotcha. Gotcha. OK. All right. Let's see the next one. Who's up next? It's uh, Patrick. Patrick. OK, Patrick. Uh, next up, we have Falling Down. <laughs> yes. OK. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fist pumping because I know this is a good story. For whatever reason. <laughs> I was in like eighth grade or freshman year of high school when Falling Down was coming out. And I didn't have much context for it in terms of being a Joel Schumacher film. Like I had seen other Joel Schumacher movies, but I don't think I realized he was the man responsible for Falling Down. But something about the advertising made me want to see that movie so bad. Um, I think it was the idea of like, ooh, this guy's going to stand up to the McDonald's breakfast rule. <laughs> and suddenly I was like, this is my network. This is my this is my mad as hell. Not going to take it anymore. Moment. It kind of work because they do breakfast all day now. Exactly. It's the falling down effect. Um, so I was convinced that I needed to see this movie that was just going to be about this guy who goes around and writes the everyday wrongs of society. Right. And I wanted to see it so bad, uh, but it was R rated and I I couldn't get a parent to take me. And uh, so I decided on a Saturday afternoon to talk my friend into walking to see it um, first run in another town. So we essentially had to walk from my town to another town. I don't know. I don't know what the exact distance would be. I mean, I feel like it's probably about 15 miles. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't I have no idea why I was like, we got to walk. 15 miles to see falling down we got up to the ticket window the guy was like this is r-rated you can't come in i was like no our parents are meeting us and thank god this guy took pity on us and was like oh okay fine and sold us tickets to falling down because if we had walked that way for nothing i would have been crushed um i saw the movie 
I, you know, it didn't live up to what I hoped it would be. I'm not the biggest fan of falling down. I think there's a neat idea in it somewhere, but I think it's an uglier movie uh, than I wanted it to be. And maybe that's the point. But I don't know. When Joel Schumacher makes his big, important movies, I don't think they tend to work. Um, so the worst part was then having to walk home after <laughs> falling down, because at least the walk there, you're like excited. I'm going to see falling down and walking home. Uh you just have the disappointment of having seen falling down. And then on the walk home, uh, this guy drove by us and we're, you know, walking on like a fairly busy road. A guy drove by us. He came around a curve and yelled blow job <laughs> and kept driving, and which is fine. But like we spent the rest of the walk home trying to figure out like he came around that curve. He saw two 13 year old boys. He had half a second to figure out what he was going to say. How did he land on blowjob? We spent the rest of the walk home trying to figure that out. Adam, thoughts on falling down? Or blowjob. Or blowjob. Uh, I saw it maybe once or twice on HBO. Oh, you didn't work for it I like work I did. For it. No, but I did direct uh, the, the documentary about Patrick's walk to falling down <laughs> called Moving Forward. <laughs> You should see it. It's really good. Um, no, I yeah, I, I have almost no opinion of falling down. It's fine. I mean, like, I remember it being kind of entertaining to, like, 12-year-old me, but that's about it. I think I was so disappointed to discover it's just a movie about a crazy person yeah. instead of a guy who somehow is fed up and standing up to society. Who has, it's like, like, a moral compass. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is just, oh, yeah. he's just a crazy person who was a danger to his wife and kid. Yeah, he would fit in really well in 2017. No, yeah, no. He was basically the poster child of 2017. He was, yeah, he was Defense. our warning. He was our warning. <laughs> okay. Good thing we listened. <laughs> All right, Adam, you're up next. All right, so okay. let's see. Yep. Here we go. Oh, oh, I was hoping this one would come out. 2003's Bad Boys 2. Oh, holy <laughs> shit. Um, this is a movie that I I was dating somebody at the time who did not like violent movies. So she, like, it was kind of one of those things where it's like the line in Pulp Fiction where it's just like, well, my girlfriend's a vegetarian, so I guess that makes me a vegetarian. But, um, so when I saw it, most of my movies, I would see it with her and, like, I would see the normal stuff. And then Bad Boys 2 was a movie I had to, like, sneak and see by myself. So I remember I told, it was like that, like, Freddy versus Jason, like, I would have to lie and, like, come up with, like, an alibi and then, like, call my mom and dad and be like, this is where I am if Trisha calls. Um, so I went to go see Bad Boys 2. I remember listening to Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory on my way over there. Sounds like the worst night ever. <laughs> and I was, like, really just pumped. And I watched Bad Boys 2. And at the time, I thought it was, like, one of the best action movies I have ever seen in my life. Um, over time, I really respect the skill of the action sequences, which are, like, that freeway chase is tremendous and still is um but the humanity and moral politics of that movie are like the worst thing that you could ever put on film and it was such a glimpse at what michael bay was keeping in check for a little while with movies like the rock or armageddon and um it's a movie that has only aged poorly because Martin Lawrence is a weirdo. Will Smith is a giant weirdo. Michael Bay is the worst. And uh, it's ugly. It's homophobic. It's misogynistic. It's like, 
I think. So it's directed by Michael Bay. So it's directed by Michael Bay. So I've, um, it's one of those movies where I'm very glad that I've grown up. All right. Patrick, thoughts on Bad Boys 2? Yeah, they're pretty similar to Adam's. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at the number of times I've seen Bad Boys 2 because <laughs> I've seen it a bunch of times. And it is, you know, I love action movies. It is one of the best made pieces of shit I've ever seen. Like, it is. It's really well made. It has an amazing pedigree when you think about yeah. Jerry Stahl was a writer. Ron Shelton was a writer. Um, it has all these things going for it. It has no excuse being two and a half hours long. It is shapeless. It is soulless. It is ugly. It is stultifyingly stupid. Um, but it is exceptionally well made, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting that, like, in some ways, it's a reaction to Pearl Harbor being a failure. In some ways, it's the kind of movie that Michael Bay makes only after he's able to build up to that point in his career. Like, The Rock was a huge hit. Armageddon was a huge hit. The gloves are off. I can make any movie I want. Uh, here's my directing credit over a burning cross. Like, Michael Bay was not hiding who he was in Bad Boys 2 at all. And it's like, I want to say I respect that, but of course, I also hate that. Yes. All right. Fair enough. Good. Okay. So, Patrick, you're up. Let's see. We have, and it is Dogma. Um, Dogma, I went to see opening night in 1999. Which theater? Because I went opening night too. AMC. We could have been in the same theater. We must have been, right? Yeah. Uh, all of my friends were going to see something else. I, what did it open against? Do you remember? World is Not Enough? They wouldn't have been going to see that. It was November of... 99. It was 99, yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't so know. maybe they weren't going to see something opening night, but my like group of friends at the time was all going to see something else, and I was like, Sleepy nah. Hollow? Uh, I don't know. So I, I was like, no, I'm going to see Dogma. So I went to see Dogma because at the time I was a big Kevin Smith fan, and... I think I felt about it then the way I do now, which is I appreciate the ambition. I appreciate so many of the ideas that he has. Um, I think it's a really problematic movie. I think the performances are inconsistent to bad. I think the direction is stiff in the way that Kevin Smith movies so often are. But the biggest problem, and this is something I've said a number of times, I think, on our show, is that it's a movie that has all these big ideas and no idea how to communicate those ideas visually. So it just has characters stand around and explain these ideas to each other. So you get all these scenes of Linda Fiorentino or Chris Rock just like, so you mean to tell me that blah, 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 blah. And that does not work dramatically at all. And then it has like big poo monsters and stuff. And you just sometimes wish Kevin Smith wouldn't be who he is. But I respect it in terms of him trying to tell a bigger story you know as a filmmaker okay adam thoughts on dogma it's one of those movies where so like the theater that patrick mentioned when especially in that time because it was a newer theater and it was like the first like multiplex it was like going to like an airport i mean it <laughs> yeah, was like it's exactly it was what it was like. it was crazy yeah so um and people just flock to that theater so like that was like when you would it was like our suburban version of yeah. like man's chinese like everybody would go to this theater to see those movies there was a there was a digital marquee you know that would tell you when all the shows were starting and it really was checking flight times when you walk in there's this giant lobby and yeah. you just look because half the movies would be flashing sold out i mean yeah. that's how crowded it was and now you go and it's a ghost town yeah yeah and um so 
I remember like that for a number of years, especially like through my high school and college years, it was uh, movies kind of took on like a larger than life quality just because they were showing their opening nights and everything. So it was like in Roadhouse when Ben Gazzara walks into the bar, <laughs> into the double deuce, and he's just like, play something with balls. <laughs> like every Friday night, like the premiere movie was play something with balls. And um, Dogma was like in that time period when me and my friends were very... I think kind of like we really liked like the whole Goodwill hunting, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon kind of thing. So it was one of those movies where like we would see it and like the stuff would be so much more intelligent than like the things that high school seniors talk about. So we would come out of it basically with like newfound accents, almost like Boston accents where we're all like fast talking street kids afterwards because we're mimicking what we just saw and we're talking about like so you came out of dogma catholic basically and we're just like like are you king jeff you really think that's what fucking happened in the crusades and like we're like driving a white castle and stuff like that we thought we were like these dime store like philosophers um so that's what i remember most about dogma i think it's a i haven't seen it in a really long time but i remember liking it and think it was funny but it's also like that whole thing like makes me slightly embarrassed to remember <laughs> That that's why I was like, I mean, it was like totally like where we're like, here's your fucking double burger. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's all. All right. So, Patrick, you're up. No, no. Adam, you're up. Oh, Adam. Adam's up. Okay, Adam, we have Suicide Kings. Never seen it. Never Next. seen it. Patrick? Didn't see it theatrically. Rented it. Very much sort of that post Tarantino. Hey, we're all criminals who talk all smart. Uh People love it, and I have never understood why, but I remember it having a really good cast and also Sean Patrick Flannery. I think it rented well at Blockbuster. That's all that I can That sounds like a it. movie that would rent well at Blockbuster. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Adam, then the, the next one is going to be for you. Let's see here. We are Godzilla 1998. <laughs> um Godzilla 1998 was interesting because that played at a theater um, by me. And I remember that for whatever reason, this theater didn't do this very often, but they would show they showed Godzilla every 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) They rented out. So like it was a 16 screen theater. It was playing on like eight or 10 screens. And every 20 minutes was a new show time for Godzilla. And. I remember we went in the theater and we went to the 720 and it was like me and like four friends and that's it. And I'm just like, do you think the seven has eight people in it? It was like really weird. Um, and then we watched the movie and it, 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 I have the same opinion that everybody else does. I think it's fairly terrible and um, really insulting, like by the end where it's just velociraptors and Madison Square Garden. Um, I do remember that there was one person actually other than my friends and I in the theater and when Godzilla f- breathed fire for the first time, he like visibly like pumped his fist oh, like, yeah. yes. So at least it worked for one person. But I do remember it being a really big disappointment because it was coming off of Independence Day for Roland Emmerich. We didn't really kind of know who he was as much just yet. <laughs> and um, it, uh, it was it, it, I don't know. I've, I've noticed over time through watching multiple Godzilla movies like post 
Godzilla 98 and King Kong movies and stuff that I'm probably not as big of a fan as I make myself out to seem of g- the giant monster subgenre. And Godzilla is probably one of the worst ones I've seen. So is it safe to say that you will not be at Rampage day and date? I would really like to think that I won't be, but I know that I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Patrick, thoughts on Godzilla 98? Uh, you know, they're similar to Adam's. It will always hold a very special place in my heart because it came out in the summer of 98, which was really... I had met my wife in 97. We had a few conversations, but it wasn't really until right around the time that Godzilla came out that we were really starting to like talk and hang out. And so I will always associate it with like the summer that I fell in love with my wife. Um, And we were doing rehearsals for a show. And I remember the two of us who weren't that close yet trying to move things along because we were trying to organize a big group to rush out to see like the Thursday night early screening of Godzilla or, you know, they kind of did some screenings like the night before the big opening day. And we were trying to get there, you know, for the seven o'clock show or the nine o'clock show, whatever it was. And I, I couldn't have been more excited for Godzilla because yeah, Independence Day, I thought was a lot of fun and was a really fun, like audience movie. When I saw it in 96, it seemed like Roland Emmerich was the guy to do Godzilla, you know? Yeah. And then to watch the movie, um, I remember it ended and and I can't remember the exact quote, but a friend of ours that was with us just very loudly was just kind of like, well, that sucked. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, OK, somebody said it like somebody kind of broke the ice because we were just sitting here being disappointed. And that story about it showing every 20 minutes is so perfect because yeah. that was that movie. I mean, that was a lot of hubris. It was so yeah. much. So did you ever read have either of you ever read The Gross by I think it's by Peter Bart? I have not now. I think I have. I don't remember it being called The Gross, so maybe it's a different book. It's this really, I think yeah. it's, it's either Was Peter it Blockbuster? Because they wrote a book called Blockbuster. Or maybe I'm thinking of Peter Goober. Okay. I, yeah. This is a different one. This okay. is just about the summer of 98. Oh, no. Oh, okay. It just talks okay. about, here's, it, it tracks like the same 10 movies, essentially, okay. through their development and then how much they made and kind of what the fallout was. And uh, it has just all these interesting stories about the hubris of Godzilla and how it did not pay off because, again, you made a bad movie. It amazes me that that. All right. So Roland Emmerich probably at the time had all the leeway in the world to make whatever he wanted. I I was always really confused why the cast wasn't stronger for that movie because even in 98 terms like matthew broderick wasn't a in the limelight much anymore and then he was of independence day was not huge at the time will smith was not will smith yet but it was bigger than godzilla sure i think the idea was just like well we don't need to hire big stars godzilla's the star yeah and they were right they were were right right. they were right what fascinates me about godzilla is like it's shitty in so many ways but it's shitty in all the same ways that like almost every subsequent Michael Bay movie would be. And yet those movies, many of of them are beloved and people continue to go see them. I mean, Godzilla is the template for the Transformers movies in so many ways, just in the way that it combines big spectacle with awful, awful character work and especially humor. And yet Godzilla is looked upon as this garbage pile and Transformers, you know, we still get one every few years. I will say, though, I would rather watch Godzilla 98 than Godzilla 2014 if you told me I had to watch one right now. Well, that's very interesting. Because I think it's more interestingly bad. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Do you not see the correlation between Godzilla, uh, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla and Rogue One in the in the sense that 
the first two acts of both of those movies are painfully boring, and then the third act is you know a big giant crescendo. Or no, may, I, I, or, or am I speaking? I see that too. Am I the only one who finds the first two acts of Rogue One kind of dull and very slow paced? I definitely had that issue too. The no, first, yeah, that the first time I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> I think the I would recommend something to you, Dana, but like you can't do it anymore. But when I saw Rogue one a second time it was in an imax 3d presentation and i've seen force awakens in imax 3d and i never choose that as my first viewing of these movies but they're sensational in imax 3d well uh just for the record i have imax 2d tickets for the last jedi i have two tickets uh i i17 and i18 i've already got them picked out the twosies the twosies <laughs> going by myself yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. There you I'm, go. I mean, you, gotta, you know, you gotta you gotta embrace it. I'm just, I'm prepared to spend thirty dollars to make sure nobody sits next to me because I'm going on opening weekend. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay, so you're up, Patrick. And- I usually just pay people thirty dollars to sit on me. <laughs> okay, Patrick, you're up, and we have license to drive. <laughs> Never saw it uh, theatrically. Watched it a lot on cable, like a lot, a lot. Um, I don't have many thoughts on it. It's not a great movie. It's a movie that really tries to coast on the charm of the two Corys. It is the movie that introduced me to Heather Graham, and for that, I'll always be grateful. Fair enough. All right, Adam, any any thoughts on License to Drive? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. I own it on Blu-ray. It cost me $5. <laughs> There's no special features on it. It's like, <laughs> I do not own it on Blu-ray, and I might need to. Yeah, I can lend it to you anytime. Um, and, <laughs> You'll never get it back. Oh, and then... Um, I saw that at the Dollar Theater with my family, and I remember I liked it, but also it was one of those weird movies where this didn't happen much after like I was 10, but before I was 10, my mom would do this thing where like if I watched something and I liked it, she'd be like, oh, you're like less and licensed to drive. You probably want to drive really fast when you grow up too, and I'm kind of like, What? <laughs> Why are you conflating these things? And I remember like even then she was like trying to like, you know, it was like playing like the cool mom thing. But I was just so like appalled by that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I do love, love, underline love. Get out of my dreams. Get into my car by Billy Ocean. Ocean. It's a a great song. And the music video is amazing. Do we know what happened to Billy Ocean? I mean, this guy, I mean, he had some hits. I mean, he had some hits. Yeah. I think he actually went supernova and now just exists in the sky as a star. I took I was on vacation and I went in a submarine and I saw him <laughs> swim past me. Glad I asked. All right. Uh wait, okay, Adam, you're up. All right. Now now some of these movies came out in the nineteen eighties. So if it, if you don't recall seeing the theater I don't believe you. <laughs> I'm gonna edit some of this out. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'm just trying to say some of these came out in the 1980s, so it's okay if you don't remember seeing it in the theater, just if you remember seeing it. So, okay, so yeah. wait, Adam's up, right? Yeah. Okay, Adam, we have Red Dawn 1984. I, I have never seen it. I don't really have it. Yeah, I don't have anything to say about it. I'm sorry. Patrick? I am suppo- no, I've seen it, and I'm supposed to be a bigger fan than I am because, in theory, I like John Milius, especially after seeing that documentary about him. Uh, obviously, it has a great cast, but it's just a hard movie for me to really get behind because it's so jingoistic, and they're literally drinking deer's blood, and I'm just like, what is this? I mean, in some ways, it's the most John Milius movie ever, um, and it's not that it's a bad movie. I think it just... 
is advocating a specific worldview that maybe right. is not for me. Right. Okay. So then, Adam, let me follow that up. Did you see Red yeah. Dawn 2012? No. No. No, I didn't see that one either. Yeah, let me, rest assured, you didn't miss anything <laughs> at all. I can promise I, you that. Did, did you hear the story? Did you hear the story about what happened with that movie? With because uh, who, who are the bad guys in it? Well, it South was supposed Korea to be. I think it was supposed to be the Chinese, but then they changed it to the North Koreans, or vice versa. It was one one way or the other. There was something like in China they had to change the nationality of the villains altogether because they couldn't. I think they sell. changed it everywhere altogether. Oh, okay, from China to North Korea. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It was interesting, but just I heard kind that. of showing like a case study of how important the Chinese market has become to film. Yep. That you'll completely change movies wholesale. Well, they had spent uh, they had that movie had been filmed and had been shelved for a couple of years, and then they had to spend uh, a boatload of money to digitally alter all the uniforms on the soldiers. The change was made in post. So yeah, but I, I that was. One of the few movies, well, few, there's been a few, but I walked out of there. I walked out of the theater 45 minutes into it. There's a scene. I mean, is this, you guys are never going to see it, right? No, no, you're fine. So basically the town's been taken over, China, North Korea, we're not 100% sure. And there's a scene where the Wolverines, which are the uh, the rebels, are the heroes of the story. They go into a Subway sandwich shop. They hold up the people behind the counter and the guy says, all right, sandwich artist, put the food in the bag. And it was at that point I got up and left the theater. And it was, it's hard to explain how bad that was. You should just YouTube that one particular scene. Just type Red Dawn 2012 subway scene. Jeez, that sounds pretty shitty. Yeah. That was it. I was, that was literally at that moment. I said, That's it. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we said, okay, so that was Adam. So we'll do another one for you since you didn't see that one. Okay. And, okay. oh, this one's going back. Remo Williams. No, it, 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 with me, like if it's 87 onward, it's most likely that I've seen it. I have a lot of um, like blind spots pre that. Okay. All right. Patrick, you saw Remo Williams? I did. I used to like it a lot when I was a kid. I haven't seen it in years. Um, and there's something that makes me a little wary about revisiting it now just yes. because of the whole Joel Gray playing an Asian character. Um, but I love Fred Ward and he so rarely got the chance to play a lead. I never read any of the dist- Destroyer novels, but I liked the idea of Rima Williams as kind of the blue collar American James Bond. So I remember really enjoying it as a kid, but I'm I'm reluctant to go back to it now. That was the that's literally my same sort of the same way I look at it because I that was something that I had taped off HBO on VHS and, and wore the tape out in the 1980s, and then it was recently on one of these really third rate extended cable channels called movieplex or something like that it's a free movie mm-hmm. channel on the extended cable and it was on and it was me watching it about a year ago going what there's something really off about this movie and i just <laughs> and i it just didn't really it really resonated me th- with me when i saw it this time but it didn't as a kid so you're absolutely right it's better you don't revisit it yeah okay uh okay so patrick oh no adam we're still picking one for you yeah i'm a big failure <laughs> no 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 okay all right here we go oh okay here's one from the 90s 1997 oh, now we've seen it sure anaconda holy shit um <laughs> anaconda was one of those movies where i think i was tricked or led astray by 
Roger Ebert because uh, yeah. Roger Ebert had like a three like and a half me. star like me with Congo. <laughs> Don't you dare say anything bad about Congo in my presence. Congo's in the I, basket. I, I just left. want you guys to know that. I lo- <laughs> okay. Um, Anaconda is a movie where I think Roger Ebert's uh, enthusiasm for it in his review kind of colored my viewing experience. And I really enjoyed it when I saw it um, at the same theater that showed Godzilla every 20 minutes. I rewatched it. I actually talked about it on a seen anything good lately on a show like about a year ago, but I watched it like on sci-fi channel with commercial interruptions. And I like, while it was happening, I'm like, I can't believe I'm actually doing this, but like I needed to see it through (laughs) and it's not good at all. And, um, it's got a lot of like the weird nineties, tropes of the day that were fun then but are very cringe inducing now like the first time you see ice cube he's just looking around and he's like today is a good day and stuff like <laughs> it's stuff like that i think john voight is giving a good performance playing himself because <laughs> he's just un- like turned out to be a interesting fellow but yeah i know it's not, not good and the snake looks like a sticker <laughs> Looks like a moving sticker. <laughs> okay, uh, Patrick, thoughts on Anaconda? I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't watch it till cable. I don't know what you know because '97. I was basically going to see everything. I went to see a a smile like yours on opening day. I was like Kinnear and Lauren Holly, <laughs> one please. He only walked eight miles for that. One. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot closer. But for some reason, I didn't pay to go see Anaconda, which is weird because it's basically a horror movie. And for some reason, I skipped it. So I watched it on cable, and I was just like, "What is this?" Uh, yeah, I, I I'm not a fan. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right. You're up, Patrick, and we have oh one I was hoping would come out: The Boondock Saints. <laughs> <laughs> Why you want to make your listeners not like me, Dana? Oh, wait, um, no, 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 hold on, hold on, no, no, hold on, hold on, please, does, please. You didn't, you didn't open the paper enough, and it says Boondock Saints too. <laughs> oh, All Saints Day. Yeah. All right, I, it, it, it can, I can, I can re-edit that and have it say Boondock Saints too if you'd like. No, no, no. Um, yeah, listen, I, have, I, I okay, tr- I'm, I'm going to stop you just, just for a second. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you because I've never done an episode on the Boondock, on the Boondock Saints too. Four years on the show. Lots of movies, lots of film history. I've never done an episode on the Boondock Saints too, for a reason. So I don't know when you say you're, you know, I don't want to upset your listeners. Uh, I'm not a fan of that movie at all. So okay. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, I just I I feel bad sometimes shitting on a movie that I know is beloved. Um, and that's the thing. It's like the people that love this movie love it so much that for me to say like, Oh, you love this thing. That is awful. I just feel bad about, and I've tried to get better about the way I talk about movies because listen, if it's somebody's favorite movie, who am I to take that away from them? And who am I to tell them that they're wrong? It brings them joy and good for them. Um, but I'm not a fan of that movie. We did an episode of it for F this movie years ago in the early days, I think. And it was like one of the only times again, I've, I've tried to get better about this because I think I specifically remember saying, hey, if you like this movie, you're a dummy. And I would never <laughs> oh, say no. that anymore because no. that's not fair. But I just think it's it's there's so much that I don't like about it. Uh, it's not that it's badly made because I don't think it is badly made. Uh, and Willem Dafoe seems to be doing something and having fun. Um, but I just think it's so ugly in the way that it treats everyone who isn't a cool boondock saint in a, a coat with guns. 
um, and it glorifies that stuff in such a way. And then again, it's impossible for me to divorce myself because you saw um, the documentary oh, overnight. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's impossible to divorce yourself from just what a shithead Troy Duffy is and uh, trying to make this thing that exists just to be cool. And his idea of cool is to, you know, shit on any minority or woman or anybody who isn't Troy Duffy or a boondock saint. So I am not a fan of that movie. Well, I'm trying to and and maybe we can break this down just a little bit, Adam, as well. But I'm trying to I've always tried to wrap my head around why that movie became so beloved because I saw it on DVD. I want to say 2001. I had a roommate at the time. He said, man, you got to see this movie. You got to see it. And I watched it. And at the end, you know, we're sitting in the living room and he says, wasn't that great? And I was like, eh, yeah, uh, it was, <laughs> it was okay. But I've, I've I've never understood the fascination behind it. And Adam, what are your thoughts on the film? Uh, the film itself, I, I think I've seen once and I don't, uh, to explain the appeal of it is better left to somebody else. I, hmm. I, I just really don't know. Um, I mean, I think it's the, the best answer I could give. That's the politest answer is just that it's just a macho fantasy that a lot of guys, especially young men kind of like, I mean, it's like, Fight Club or things like that, where you're not necessarily learning the right lessons from it, but on its face, well, but Fight Club has thoughts in its head, correct? And whereas Boondock Saints does doesn't. The thing that I, I, the thing, the thing, there's two things I will always remember about Boondock Saints. One is, um, it was I worked at Blockbuster Video my senior year of high school, and this was a Blockbuster exclusive. Yeah. We got a lot of copies of it, and when we were breaking down the box and setting it up for inventory for the following week. My friend Matt and I, we were like, what is the Boondock Saints and why do we have like 50 copies of it? So while we were like putting it together, we're putting the sleeves in and like shrink wrapping the cover boxes of the Boondock Saints and everything to put on on the shelf. We came up with a work song, a Boondock Saints work song. And the, what I remember is if you want to rent a movie that you'll keep late, rent the Boondock Saints. It's really great. Did that work? You think? I don't know. I mean, it didn't that was the whole reason I saw it because my wife was working at Blockbuster at the time, and she said, "What is this movie? People keep renting it and yeah. talking about how much they love it." So she like checked out a copy for me to watch. Yeah, and uh, I didn't love it. But again, the the stars of those movies, you know, they draw these huge crowds at conventions. And, yeah, they... and, and I don't want to take that away from people. You know, that it brings them joy as long as they're not adopting that same worldview it's harmless if they're adopting yeah. that worldview then we got a problem but did i ever tell you about my ironic film club that i had at uh sigma pi when i was in the frat so there's so much about you i don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so i was at sigma pi like they knew i was really into movies and i was one of the guys who like people would always borrow dvds from one the president of the fraternity said like you know a lot about movies you should like set up a film club for us so i was just like okay so tuesday nights i set this up and like Patrick, who teaches a film class, I think like for a moment I had in my brain like, oh, I want to introduce these guys to a lot of things and I could introduce them to, you know, like dogfight or stuff like that. That's like will make them think. But then I decided to be ironic with it just as an inside joke for myself. <laughs> so we lasted four weeks. <laughs> the first week I, I showed bait with Jamie Foxx and I said, I said, get ready to see one of the best action movies of the 2000s. And it was like 2001 at the time. I'm like, get ready to see one of the best. I definitely saw Bait opening weekend, by the way. <laughs> so we played Bait. 
Boondock Saints was another one. Um, the third one, I don't remember the fourth one, which are, was our finale, but the, <laughs> the, the third one, I remember making a point of building it up for like the whole week. I'm just like, guys, <laughs> come Tuesday night, eight o'clock to the daddy room. It was called the daddy room. Um, come to the daddy room. We're going to move out the pool table and put in extra chairs because I'm going to show you a movie that is going to blow your fucking mind. So like I we had it was um, pre flat screen TVs. It was like the giant square box TV and I turned the power off on the monitor, but I had the DVD all ready to go. So like I just had to press play and mm-hmm. they could see what the title or the uh, the, the logo, the mm-hmm. studio logo at the beginning. And I just said, guys, welcome to the new American dream. And I pressed play. And you heard like the hip hop thing to the New Line Cinema logo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one guy just shouted out, oh, my God, it's Boiler Room. <laughs> <laughs> and then we watched Boiler Room. And oh, my God, it was like the most skin crawling inducing screening of Boiler Room That's that a movie has made ever, for frat guys. ever happened. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Boondock Saints was part of that box set. <laughs> have either of you, because I haven't, but have either of you seen Boondock Saints 2? No, I think I made it about 10 minutes. Okay. All right. So, okay. So we don't have to go into that. I was just curious. I, I never, I remember it just was watching at the movies and I believe it was Richard Roper and whoever the other gentleman was. I I don't believe it was Roger Ebert. And they said, next up, yeah, Michael Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, next up, Boondock Saints 2. And I was like, huh, they made another one of those. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Okay. No, I never saw that. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Patrick, you were you were it's it's Adam's turn, correct? Uh yeah. Okay. Let's see. And Adam, we have Oh, this one was good. This is why I put the Alien 3. Oh boy. Um I haven't seen it in a really long time. I'm not a giant fan of the franchise more as much as most people are. I like Aliens the most and I really enjoy I really really like that movie. Um it's a running joke on our show that I I'm not the biggest fan of Alien, which I know I'm a complete anomaly in that regard. I have gotten to, it's gotten to the point where I play the heel on our show and I say like species is better than Alien and stuff like that just as a joke. And also because I really believe it. Um, <laughs> Alien 3, I saw like on video and it was the theatrical cut, the one that David Fincher's pretty much disowned. Um, and I remember... Not really liking it. I think I've seen it on television here and there for a few minutes, uh, and it's never really drawn me back in. I do own the Alien Quadrilogy set on Blu-ray, and I've been meaning to watch the work print or director's cut prints of Alien 3 to give it another chance. Um, It's something that I definitely eventually will watch again, but I... I don't have much of a relationship with it as I as much as I do with some of the other entries in the series, and um, I think it's it's but definitely not a terrible movie or anything. I just don't think that it. it I think it's such a um, kind of step downward from the first two, and how could it not be? Because those two are really impressive um, in their own right. That I've never kind of loved it. I think you did a show on it, and you you ended up liking it a lot, right? The I, the cut that you watched? I did. I I I fell in love with the the uh, the assembly cut, as it's okay. known. And okay. it, the, again, this was because I had seen the movie in two. Excuse me, nineteen ninety two or ninety three on VHS and whatever standard format I'm seeing on the TV. And you know, this time around, I watched it 
a Blu-ray cut on a you know a nice big flat screen with surround sound, and I, I was pretty much felt like I was watching the movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. And and there was a part of me that got very nostalgic for the for this type of film because. I had watched, I did all this research on the film because I was doing an episode on it and I watched all these behind the scenes documentary documentaries and they built these massive sets. And I mean, they spared no expense. I mean, they were making a sequel to James Cameron's film and I took all of that in watching it. Like this is something they don't do anymore. You know, you know, they they have these big giant sets at Pinewood studios in England. And now the set for a movie these days is just a big blue or green screen, you know, and I just, I took all of that in and I really, I really, really appreciated the movie for what it was. And I really enjoyed it. Now, Patrick, my question to you is, has time been good to alien three? Are you a fan of the theatrical or the assembly cut? I don't know that I've ever watched the assembly cut because I always know that I have to like build up to it. And what happens, it's like the same thing that happens to me every time I try to revisit X-Files, is that I go through that quadrilogy box and I watch both cuts of Alien and then I listen to the commentary. And then my plan is to like watch both cuts of Aliens and listen to the commentary and then work my way up to Alien 3 and watch the theatrical cut first and then watch the assembly cut so I can see what the differences are. But I never make it to that point because like after one viewing of Aliens, I'm like, I got to move on to something else. And I never get to that point. So I don't think I've ever actually seen the assembly cut. And one of these days, I just have to kind of bite the bullet and just watch that or just watch the, you know, the theatrical cut of Alien 3 and the assembly cut back to back. There's a really good book called The Greatest Sci-Fi Movies Never Made that gives a really interesting kind of production history of that film and goes through the various drafts of the scripts and how it all came to be. I definitely went to see it in theaters. Uh, My first high school girlfriend was, I was 14 and she was probably 16 or 17. She was a little bit older because I was you know, kind of a stud. Uh, just joking. And she could drive and she could get us into rated R movies. So we would go see a lot of movies and she hated every movie that I picked because I was taking her to see stuff like Alien 3 and Sleepwalkers and People Under the Stairs. And like, yes, we recognize these are awesome movies, but this girl was not a fan. Uh, so she hated Alien 3. I kind of liked it, but I've never been uh, with the with the group of people who claim like, oh my gosh, it's it's such an underrated classic, you know, but um, clearly I need to go back and revisit the assembly cut because I really do like what you said about, hey, they actually built this stuff. You know, there's something tactile about the movie that is gone now when you watch something like Covenant or or Prometheus. Yeah, I, I would even recommend, I mean, I know this might be sound it kind of in reverse, but watch a behind the scenes documentary. Watch whatever they've got on that quadrilogy. You know, yeah. I mean, see these sets before you actually see the movie because it's it's really really impressive. Oh, whoops, hit the microphone. It's really really impressive. So, and, yeah. and, and I'm really looking forward to hearing both of your thoughts, good or bad, on the assembly cut. Your your episode on that show or on that movie was was really really good, by the way. I I appreciate that. Thank you. And I just want to let the listeners know that I have not. I am going to finish the Alien franchise. I stopped at Alien versus Predator. And I was getting ready to do uh, an episode on Alien vs. Predator Requiem, and I rewatched the movie, and (laughs) it was kind of one of those, I think I'm going to blend it in with Predators. You recall the Adrian Brody Mm -hmm. vehicle Predators? I'll probably just do both of those in one episode, and then get into the Prometheus and the Alien Covenant, um, probably January of 2018. For the listeners, I promise I'm going to finish it. 
So let's see. Patrick, you're up. And I guess we'll do a couple more each. Does that sound good? Sure. Yeah, that's good. Okay. All right. So, Patrick, you're up. And we have Quiz Show. Um, I maybe have only seen it once or twice. I think it's a very good movie. Uh, a movie that is made for adults that is about something historic, but also about something larger and manages to be entertaining at the same time. Of the Robert Redford directed films I've seen, keep in mind, I still have never seen Ordinary People. Uh, it's easily my favorite. I really like it, but it's not a movie that I revisit hardly ever. Okay. Adam, quiz show? Yeah, I... I saw it for the first time just a few years ago and really liked it a lot. It was one of those movies that I had meant to get to for a number of years because it was nominated for Best Picture in like a really important year for me in terms of movie watching because 1994 was pretty much the year where I went from just watching the Jurassic Parks, the Batmans of the world to watching movies for grownups, just dramas, Oscar movies, things like that. And that year it was uh, Gump and Pulp Fiction and Shawshank and Four Weddings and a Funeral and Quiz Show. And Quiz Show was always the one that I never got around to. And when I did watch it, I I agree with Patrick. I think it's the best of Robert Redford's directed movies um, and uh, the acting is terrific and it's just an inherently interesting story. Yeah. Um, and I, you, you know, once you, when you, when you have like a story that that's, that's that interesting, I mean, it's kind of hard to mess up. And uh, when you have a cast that that's good, it's just, uh, you know, you're, you're on the right track. So I really enjoy it. It's good. Okay. And for Adam, <laughs> yeah. we, for you, we have the butterfly effect. The Butterfly Effect is uh, a movie I've seen once. I saw it on video. I remember there being like a deleted scene or an alternate <laughs> ending that's like way darker than what's in the Bananas. movie. And it really kind of creeping me out. I think it's maybe the best Ashton Kutcher movie. Um, <laughs> but the thing I remember about it the most is that it's got Amy Smart in it. And I adore Amy Smart. And um, I remember there was like a scene where she's like dark Amy smart because like she's on drugs or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And I was disappointed. Dark smart. Dark smart. And I'm smart was, of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I was disappointed to see smart of darkness because she'll always be Paul Walker's little sister in Varsity Blues to me <laughs> because I think one of the reasons why I went to college in Indiana was because I wanted to meet a college girl who would just while we were playing like beer pong just go nothing but that. <laughs> You're cute, Mox, but you know you are. <laughs> I will marry any woman who goes up to me and just goes, nothing but that. <laughs> so, so, all right, uh, Patrick, thoughts on the butterfly effect? I went to see the butterfly effect opening night, and I think at the time was surprised at how much I didn't dislike it. I think I went in expecting the absolute worst because I was like, what is this Ashton Kutcher vehicle called the butterfly effect? And then I saw it and it's this crazy movie that goes to crazy places. And I was entertained by it and kind of liked it. And for years would probably have been like, no, it's kind of like a little bit underrated. Um, And then... I don't know when it was. I, I actually listened to not to name drop another podcast on this podcast where our podcast is being interviewed on your podcast. Uh, but I was listening to an episode of We Hate Movies, sure. which is, yeah. you know, one of those shows where they just kind of make fun of movies, which I'm not always on board for, but they're funny. And they dismantled the movie in such a way and pointed things out that I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it is such an, a crazy, ugly movie. 
Um, and it's sort of nihilism for its own sake that it, it, I think forever altered the way that I see the butterfly effect. Gotcha. Now it's, it's absolutely okay to name drop. We hate movies on this podcast. I had Andrew Jubin on a couple years ago, so we're nice. So yeah, so absolutely a big, big fan of that show. All right. So I got a, just a couple more. Uh, let's see. Butterfly effect was Adam. All right. So yeah. Patrick go. I really like go. <laughs> I, I do too. Couple- I do too. Just yeah. want to put that out there. Um, we were just, uh, I think we had recorded an episode of F this movie right before this. And we were talking about what a great year 1999 was go is 99, right? Oh yeah. 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 And it's one of these movies that, yeah, was again, just surprising at how good it was because it looked from the advertising, like it was part of that second wave of teen movies that had kind of blown up in the late 90s and it's not that at all i don't think every segment works as well as every other segment but it has a monster cast it is i think the movie where i officially fell in love with sarah polly um i think it holds up i mean it feels super 90s because of the music and some of like the rave culture stuff but um in terms of the storytelling in terms of sort of the narrative turns that it takes I think it's super entertaining. And it was one of those movies where in 1999, I was going to the movies a lot by myself, um, perhaps going through just a dark time. And so there would be days where I would just go and spend the whole day at the theater. And Go was always one of those movies that I could like drop in um, for like my second or third movie of the day because it worked out with the time. And it was like, oh, I can fit this in right before I go see life or whatever else I was going to see for the first time. And so I ended up seeing go quite a few times theatrically. Did you ever walk into the auditorium and just think it's go time? (laughs) I know I never did. I never did, but it had one of my favorite like Columbia logos at the beginning. Did they change it up? Um, They kind of cut in with that music and it, Okay. You'd know it as soon as you saw it. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 BT did the soundtrack. I'm going to openly admit that I was really, really big into that type of music. For a lot of people that listening may not know, I was actually a DJ for years. And that movie, I mean, my friends and I, we went and saw it. We, we saw it kind of in a different, kind of maybe in a different light. Because whenever they would do those very, uh, very uh, brief glimpses inside the rave, the actual rave they were going to, the Merry Xmas rave. Mm-hmm. We were always kind of like, no, that's that's not right. That's that's really not how it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but anyway, anyway, I, I digress. Adam, what do you think about Go? I I enjoy it. I think that I built it up in my head a lot before I saw it because I didn't see it till video. And I remember like it got like an A in Entertainment Weekly when I was reading Entertainment Weekly, and they Which kind was of rare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they made uh, it seemed like you know it was on their short list of best movies of 1999, which Patrick and I have often discussed was just like a killer year for movies. Yeah. Um, and when I saw it, I di- I don't know if I lived up to it necessarily. I was also coming at it from being a big swingers fan. Um, so it was a little different than that, um, but had the same energy and I'm really into movies with just kind of like the high energy like that. And I like anthologies and I like, you know, nineties uh, movies for just nostalgia purposes. The thing that I remember the most about go was that I really fell in love with the soundtrack yeah. and it's at the point where I still listen to the soundtrack every, maybe once every couple of years. Um, I think it's got one of the best, no doubt songs ever. They did, like the title song, right? Um, yeah, it's called New. I don't know. Oh, okay. It's not called Go, but okay. um, but yeah, it, it, it's a really just fun movie of its time, mm-hmm. and it almost seems kind of quaint now. 
Now you mentioned Swingers. Uh, I don't know this for a fact, but I think it's the same director. Am yeah, I? Yeah. yeah, it's Doug Lyman, yeah, correct? Lyman. Yeah, he, yeah. Did, he mm-hmm. Okay, I think so. Okay, not to go off on a tangent about 1999, but are we are we feeling like that was like the last year for a whole lot of original films? It was just uh, it was a great year because there was just so much so much good stuff came out that even the bad movies were good. Mm-hmm. Even like if you dropped in in August to go see a movie, you could still go see Drop Dead Gorgeous or Dick or Deep Blue Sea or like some of the stuff that they kind of dumped like was just still good. And, and and a big reason why I think 99 was such a great year is because it was the year where it seemed like so many of the kind of up and comers um, were just starting to fulfill their promise. And so David O. Russell had been like this promising young director and he makes Three Kings. And David Fincher had been this promising director and he makes Fight Club. And Paul Thomas Anderson makes Magnolia and being John Malkovich. And so it seemed like, oh, this is the new Hollywood. We we may be living through the 70s all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, And that never came to pass. Like 99 was kind of also the year that that ended. While those filmmakers have continued to make movies, it has never again felt the way that it did that year for me. Yeah, no, I've had had, uh, Phil Juano on the show a couple times and he's brought up pretty much at the same argument that you just made about right around that time, the corporations have were they had they had taken over by that point and they were Mm -hmm. just beginning to flex their muscle and would pretty much show itself over the next couple of years after that. So yeah, really well said. Adam, I'm going to give you the last one, okay? Sure. All right. And we have Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. (laughs) It's an abomination. Um, It might not be the worst Terminator movie. It's definitely not the worst Terminator movie. It's not. Genesis and Salvation is is, uh, abominations. (laughs) Um, But Terminator 3 was... I don't even know what I hoped for out of Terminator 3 when I saw it because I didn't I definitely didn't expect it to be as good as Terminator 2 cuz even like in the lead up to it they sort of made it seem like this was kind of a cash grab as much as you know a, an important step in the franchise lore but I just remember watching it and being like so disheartened and disappointed and confused why they decided to make this into like the planet of the apes franchise now um and I, Ter- terminator 2 still i saw it in 3d this summer and it's still a great movie and it's still amazing and i'm not as big of a fan of the f- original as i am t2 but i still like it a lot and terminator 3 just feels so f- and i don't mean this as like specific jab at people who shop here but it feels so walmart <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah. it feels like it was made to be in a $5 bin or like <laughs> to be on like a 50 movie set. Right, right. Like it's gotten, and I think kind of going along with what Patrick was saying with 1999, like 1999 movies were like vinyl records and like the movies in 2017 are like, how many of these fuckers can we cram on to like, <laughs> like four film favorites and stuff like that. And they just feel like product and Terminator three feel felt so much like product. And it was sad to see that Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of didn't have the protective gene of his own, 
you know, seminal character that like I wish that he would have. I like it also was weird because up until that point, I was kind of a fan of Jonathan Mostow, who was the director. He did Breakdown, which is a good Kurt Russell movie. He did U571, which for a submarine movie, which I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of that subgenre. I think it's a pretty entertaining one. But this was just like real you know, it's like you go to Subway and like you don't you see it by yourself and then like you you're go in home. Red Dawn? Yeah, and like you go home you're and like, like hey, sandwich artist, put the food in the back. Exactly. Right? And you go home and like take a sad bath and then like <laughs> you go to bed and then you just like wake up at three in the morning and then go get like a fourth meal and then like go so, home. Taco Bell? Taco yeah. Bell. Okay. Yeah, and then like you just go home and look in the mirror and then take another sad bath to wash off. <laughs> like the filth of your of your life and uh and you wake up and then you like go to get a taco bell breakfast and then you go see terminator 3 again and like <laughs> then you like go to your shift at walmart and then like you go home and somehow it's already in the five dollar bin you're like i just want to see this yeah and it's you... the first movie that was ever day and date in theaters and in the five dollar walmart <laughs> bin they were trying a new strategy it's like you get off of your shift at walmart and like you go home and like you realize you haven't had dinner yet and then you go back out and you get some arby's <laughs> and then like you go home and then like you take a sad bath and then like you go home and then you realize that you're still hungry so you but like you don't, can't wait until 6 a.m. to get breakfast. So your fourth meal again. That's kind of what Terminator 3 feels right. like to me. Right. Well, I, I just wanted to touch on what you said there. Two things. Not about not about the sad bath or the or the, or the Taco Bell breakfast. But um, I wanted to touch on. Would you guys agree that this movie, if there was a term. Uh, the, the best described the film would be prefabricated. Uh, it really feels like a pre-vised movie before pre-visualization was a thing. Would you agree? Do you mean specifically the special effects sequences? Uh, yes. It wouldn't be the one that where it connects that like I would connect the two, but I see what you're saying. Like it just seems like it yeah. was it was it was like we're going to do these big set pieces now. Write a script around them. Like it just seemed like that to me that that that's what they had come up with. Like, uh, well, that- it was one of those. It was one of those moments where, of course, I dragged my wife to see this opening day because it was a Terminator movie and an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and it was one of those moments where watching there's a big you know truck versus crane chase on the freeway, and I just became very aware of what a good filmmaker James Cameron is, whether or not you can stand him as a person, whether or not you think he's a good writer. Listen, I'll agree with you there, but in terms of knowing what to put on screen and how to cut it together, he's one of the greats currently working, and because I feel nothing from those action sequences. I connect to them in no way. I check out of them in the way that I do a lot of subpar action scenes where I just wait to, okay, let's get back to people talking and a story moving along. Whereas when Cameron does those action scenes, that never happens because I'm invested and I'm interested. Um, but yeah, all of the action scenes in, in Terminator 3 are poorly handled. Watch. It's the, like the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, you mentioned the truck versus crane scene. This is something that I have been saying for years, way before the podcast. The next time you stumble across Terminator 3, because I know you're not going to actually put it in like a Blu-ray into a Blu-ray player, but if you happen to be... I might. Okay, okay. All right. So 
the next even come out on Blu-ray? It's not just on DVD at Walmart. It's a uh, no. Okay. So the next time you watch that specific scene, the the truck versus the crane, pay attention to the one thing that's missing. There's no music that plays during that entire scene, hmm. and that is. I mean, I, I go back to the. It's it's of course mirroring mirroring the uh, the uh, Los Angeles sewer chase in Terminator Two, where right. yeah, and that that has that the Brad Fidel music just yeah. pumping and ratcheted up, and it really adds something. Then you uh, juxtapose it with this scene with the truck, and I think some music comes in at the very end of that scene, but there is no music playing. And that, I'm telling you right there, that makes a huge difference. Sure. Yeah, it's the pulse of an action scene sometimes. And uh, yeah, that's the perfect movie to watch either before or after you order like a Nachos Bel Grande <laughs> and like you eat it in the car and like you've got it on your passenger seat and like some of the meat and sour cream like gets on the back of the passenger seat, but you don't even care. And it's like you go see Terminator 3 again because... Like you did, you managed to not get any of the nachos Belgrande on your shirt. But if you did, like you would say fuck it anyway, and you would still go. <laughs> wait, okay, wait, 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 stop. Just for a second. Did you see? Did you see uh, Salvation on opening weekend? Of you, course. Yeah. Which one was Salvation? The Bale one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I saw it opening weekend. What do we think? About that was that? my birthday movie. That was your birthday. Okay. Yeah, that was Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. I don't. I don't think it's a good movie. Um, for a lot of reasons, I think it has a pretty impressive opening sequence that's kind of all done, you know, in one take, even though I'm sure it's all just digitally cut together. But I at least appreciate its attempt at doing something different because every other Terminator movie has just been, hey, a Terminator comes back to the present because we got to protect the future. And at least Salvation is like sort of telling a story. I wouldn't say totally outside that timeline because, again, it's still John Connor and there's still that awful, awful cameo from fake Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, But at least it's sort of doing something different. I still don't like it. I still think it's probably, you know, the fourth best Terminator movie. But I give it credit for not just literally repeating the first movie, which is what every other Terminator movie has done. Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember that was the one where the culture had changed, where it was all about like audience callbacks. So like John Connor's like listening to You Could Be Mine still. And then um, like it was also (laughs) before around the time of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, but the original Transformers had been out and been a hit. So like this one kind of felt sort of like a Transformers movie a bit too, because like the the machines were kind of sentient transformers themselves. And uh, yeah, I, it, that was also during the time where like, it was kind of like the Sam Worthington movie star test of like, how big is next big thing Sam Worthington going to be. And that was also the first PG 13 rated Terminator. I call that the diehard effect yeah. when, you, when right. you make, yeah. you know, make a diehard movie PG 13. Uh, I don't go see it in the theater. And so I didn't see, I haven't seen, Gen- I, I have subsequently seen Salvation. Uh, I saw Genesis VOD or something, but I when they made them PG-13, I just said, no, I'm out. There's there's just no point. So I don't know how mm-hmm. you guys feel about the uh, about the whole PG-13, you taking an R-rated film and making it PG-13, or vice versa, taking PG-13 rated films and turning them R like Logan. I think it's, uh, the PG-13 to R is, it's not something that will keep me away from a movie more often than not, but 
I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, like there is kind of like a neutered quality to it. And in a lot of cases, I didn't think so the first time I saw live free or die hard for whatever reason, because I thought that the the exception of there being blood and them saying the F word, like they still swore a lot, but there was still like physical violence. Um, But I don't think that's a very good movie altogether. Um, And the PG-13 R, I think, is it definitely opens you up like and you brought up an excellent example with Logan where they were able to do things thematically and plot wise that they couldn't have done with some of the other Wolverine movies just based on, you know, they needed to be palatable to, you know, teenagers who couldn't get in without their parents Mm. there. So, yeah, I think it definitely works to the advantage better when you go more adults than more to a general audience. Well, and if you're shooting for a PG-13, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I don't necessarily agree with it in theory um, because wasn't one of the wasn't the third Expendables PG-13? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. You know, I, I don't agree with it so that like, Chuck Norris could show up. Oh, they, they were going to do that for two and they still ended up making it R. I, I don't necessarily agree with it in theory, but if they shoot it to be a PG-13, I guess fine. It, where it where it chaps me a lot more is in something like Live Free or Die Hard where they shot an R movie and then decided, well, let's make this PG-13. And so you just feel them cutting around all of the stuff that might be R-rated because then I think it actually impacts the experience, not by taking away the violence or the language that we've become accustomed to, but the actual rhythm of the editing suffers because it becomes a lot choppier of a movie because they're cutting it not for the film but they're cutting it to avoid some of that content and it's also hypocritical anyway because when you think about how insanely violent most pg-13 movies are now (laughs) it's so hypocritical to say like oh but it can't be r i mean the only difference is like you get more f-bombs in an r and you can maybe show a little bit more blood but Mm -hmm. Tens of thousands of people can die and your movie can still get a PG-13. I've seen trailers where tens of thousands of people die. Uh, it's it's nonsense. You make a good point about if you're if you're shooting for a PG-13 movie. Like I, I, I immediately – the moment you said that, uh, The Dark Knight just came to my mind. It's like I, there's a movie I know that was never going to be R-rated and you know it was – it skirted the line of the PG-13. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But <laughs> – And the thing that the Dark Knight does that's kind of brilliant is they have like R-rated things happening, but like they leave it to your imagination, like the pencil trick, like everybody knows exactly what happened there. And it's almost more kind of shocking because it's so quick and it's not dwelled on and everything like that. So it's not something that you expect in a PG-13 movie because you sit down and you think this is only going to go so far. And then when something like that happens, it makes the movie feel a little bit more dangerous in a way. All right, guys, before we wrap things up, uh, just real quick, anything coming out in the next few weeks you're really looking forward to? I mean, Star Wars. I'm excited about Star Wars. Yeah. And uh, the new Steven Spielberg, The Post, is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. I like movies about journalism and it has an amazing cast, obviously, and it's Steven Spielberg. I actually, I'm not even 100% positive on what's coming out. Uh, I am excited for, what's the Aaron Sorkin movie? Molly's Game. Molly's Game. Yeah. The reviews have been kind of lukewarm on it, but uh, I just like Jessica Chastain a whole lot. And so I'm excited for that. Uh, but Adam, you have a much better sense of like what's coming still. Um, so 
the ones I'm looking forward to the most, the ones that Patrick mentioned, and then uh, the disaster artist, I really sure. want to see a lot. Um, there's a lot of stuff towards the end of the year that I just have no real interest in, like Jumanji or nope. downsizing looks bad and Oof. it's supposed to be bad. So, I mean, maybe you know because I've seen that movie. Hmm. Mark Jones. Yeah. Yeah. would have crushed that movie. Little Mark Jones. Um, <laughs> or like father figures, like just like a dumping ground or like Ferdinand or nope. Darkest Hour, which is just like there just to win Gary Oldman an Oscar. Nope. So I'm yeah, there's not a lot coming out. I mean, like, but then again, I'm so full of shit because like <laughs> whatever comes out on a Friday, like if it's <laughs> Something that I even kind of want to see now. I have I have Movie Pass now, and like it's it's a flat free flat fee where I pay ten bucks a month, and I can go see pretty much whatever I want. So, is it unlimited or is it like one a week? No, it's unlimited. Is it's, it really? It's one a day, but like I don't. Yeah, I mean, like you spread it out. It yeah, right. Matter. So right. it's like it's one a day, and wow. then you just can't do IMAX or 3D, okay. and that. But it's no restrictions in terms of like the day you right. see it or like how it, long into the release it is and really? things like that. So yeah, it's bad for like you can't purchase tickets in advance okay. with it. But um, if you just want to drop in and go see a movie on any given day, like I've I've done it with like opening nights for movies and it's never been a problem. So, um, but so like, for instance, like this weekend, I do, I really, really want to see Coco or Roman Israel Esquire. Not really, but I probably will (laughs) just because there's movies out and I can't take sad baths and go to Taco Bell (laughs) all the time. Patrick through, through F this movie, you do get sent some theatrical screeners, correct? For the, the, the four year consideration screeners. Do you get those sent to you often? Um, at the, at this time of year. Yeah, I do. Now, does that ever detract you from going to see a particular film in the theater? Are these mostly just smaller films that aren't even getting a, a a widescreen theatrical release? They are for the most part, smaller films. Um, there are certainly times where, I'm sometimes hedging my bets and I'm wondering, you know, if a movie's been out for a week or two or three or four, um, I'm like, uh, do I go see it in theaters because I want to see it before it leaves or do I just cross my fingers and hope we get a screener? And almost without fail, I will go see it and then we'll get a screener one or two weeks later, which is fine. You know, movies are obviously always better to see theatrically on the big screen. The screeners are nice because they help me catch up at a particularly busy time of year and allow me to see things I might not have otherwise seen. But and because they are mostly smaller movies, you know, I I don't feel as much like, oh, these have to be seen on the biggest screen possible. If they sent me a screener for Star Wars, which they would not do, that's not how I want to see Star Wars, you know, but I can definitely watch Battle of the Sexes that way. Is um, are the screeners coming out in high definition yet or are they still DVD quality? No, they're just DVD. Okay, I was I was just kind of curious about that. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the show. This was exactly what I was hoping to accomplish, having a great conversation about a bunch of just very random movies, which uh, is just something I, I like to do with my friends. And I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on the show. For the listeners, you guys that recorded an episode, when's that coming out? Um, that will be out uh, Wednesday, what, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Okay. All right. So this is going to be out the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So can you give okay. the listeners that It'll are listening? So can you give the listeners that are listening day and date what that episode is going to be about? Yeah, uh, we did a show on Jackie Brown uh, to celebrate its 20th anniversary, and we kind of have made a joke that like somehow this year became 
like the let's celebrate the movies of 1997 <laughs> year. Um, I remember there was like a month in I think February yeah. where like, yeah, Patrick and various co-hosts, including myself, like we it was like week after week of just 1997 movies by out of sheer coincidence. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we, we talk about that for a little over an hour and touch on the movie and a lot of like topical things that are happening around, um, you know, the Weinstein company and things like that. And um, we also set it up with a, uh, a segment at the beginning of the show of if we've seen anything good lately and we talk about some of the the new releases and the fall Oscar contenders and Justice League and things like that. So we'd be flattered if you if you give us a listen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you on social media if they want to get in touch? Will they want to follow you? Uh, the website is just at F this movie. And I personally am at Patrick Bromley. OK, Adam, uh, if anybody wants to follow you on Twitter, how can they find you? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at AdamR38, and uh, you can find me at FThisMovie, too. I, I write on that site, and I am on the podcast, so if you would like to reach me, you can do that one of those two ways. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for being on the fourth anniversary episode of How Is This Movie. I, I just want to tell you, like, I was thinking about this before I Skype called you. I was thinking about it today. I was like, I used to listen to F this movie before I even started a podcast. It was just something, it was part of my weekly schedule. It was like, I mean, it was a podcast that I got very excited for every time a new episode would come out. Patrick, I was thrilled to have you on the show last year. Adam, I mean, it was fantastic you could come on the show. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. This was super fun, and I really appreciate you thinking of us. And, uh, and and I don't think any other podcast or podcast host has been as supportive of us yeah. as you have been. So I can't thank you enough. Yeah, and th- thank you, Dana. And um, you know, we yeah, we we love your show. It's my favorite show, other than F this movie. There we go. Uh, right. <laughs> Sorry, the boss is listening. Yeah. Um, the other than F this movie, and I, I the, your theater story episodes are like my, I rush to listen to them. Like anytime I see that it's on my feed, so. You know, keep up the great work. Congratulations on your fourth year. Yeah, um, congratulations. I appreciate it's that. Thank terrific. You, I I love how the show's like expanded, and you've included like all these bio- biographical elements to it. It makes it. It was a terrific show to begin with, and then like it's like. You know, it's like you have a running back who's great in his rookie season, and then in the second season, you're just like, wait, he can catch the ball too. <laughs> you have lost me. So, sorry. <laughs> as soon as you start talking sports, I'm so confused. So this is good. This is good. This is good. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, this is good. Uh, Miami Sharks fins up. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, to th- happy Thanksgiving to to you and your listeners, Dana, and thanks for having us. I appreciate that, gentlemen. Okay. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving to both of you, and uh, we'll. Talk talk soon and my name is dana buckler and thank you so much for listening the how is this movie podcast is produced by dana buckler for hidden productions located in ocala florida please follow the podcast on twitter and instagram at how is this movie like our facebook page at facebook.com slash how is this movie of course you can always email the show with questions or comments at hitm podcast at gmail.com and finally to become a monthly supporter of this podcast and gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else go to patreon.com slash how is this movie you'll find all the links to our social media in this episode's show notes.